Welcome, welcome to this, our 46th show, Palestine Deep Dive. Today we're joined once again by our great friend Roger Waters. But before we get into our discussion today, and we want to hear from lots of you, I know there's a bunch of you have been out there waiting um, and uh, you've sent new messages in. So we've got a message here from Jackson. Uh, he's from Brazil. Uh, German Tequila. Hi from Madrid. Uh, Spain, Francois Beaumont, hi from Quebec, Canada, uh, hi from Finland, uh, Salmon Bass says, uh, hi Roger from Santiago, Chile, Taja Voltonen, he, uh, Taja says, uh, hi from uh, Helsinki, uh, Charlie Lopez says, Argentina, I'm, I'm from Argentina, we've got messages from Athens, uh, and a family from Kenya, greetings from Kenya, John. Physically in California, heart and mind with Palestine. Uh, there's a hi from the UK, hi from Jordan. You can see uh, people from all over the world are joining us this evening. And they're joining us um, here as we talk about the situation in Palestine. Um, we kicked off with this idea, of course, it was Roger's idea. Hey, Israel, leave those kids alone. Because, I mean... <clears throat> We'll, we'll, we, can, we can get into some of the campaigns that Roger's been involved in as a, as a long-time human rights campaigner and supporter of the Palestinian people, and also the efforts that he's been engaged in over the years in getting other people in the world of music uh, in particular to support and sport, uh, to support the boycott and divest movement. But it's probably worth just beginning with that bold reality of what happens mm -hmm. um, to Palestinian children. And just before we started, I, I was looking at some of the basic statistics. And uh, in the first three months of this year, um, the Israeli authorities arrested some 230 Palestinian children. And let's be clear, these are kids, they're under 18. Um, and that's according to the Palestinian Prisoner Society. And these imprisoned children are often subjected to various forms of abuse, including being denied food or drink for long hours. Um, and the Palestinian branch of Defense for Children has said that 85% of the children arrested last year were subjected to physical violence. And I actually thought, I mean, Roger, you'll know about this. I mean, what, one of these groups has just been designated a, a terrorist organization by the Israeli government. Um, but I thought we might just kick off because uh, you, 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 you focused on, and we're seeing a lot more of it, especially on social media, not maybe on mainstream media, but on social media, of what often happens to um, youngsters who run up against the Israeli authorities. And so before we, st we, we, we come to you, Roger, with, a, with some of the questions and from our guests, Omar, I think you've got, um, I think you've got some footage of some of recent child arrest. Roger, that's not an unusual event. You often see it, but um, no, it's not. What do you think? I'm glad to see that kid had his fists up because he has an absolute moral and political right to resist the occupation by this foreign army that is treating him like that. So, so that's the, that's the first thing that I have to say about. It. I I've seen hundreds and hundreds of these incidents 
I have a, one, one correspondent of mine in Israel is Nurit Peledelahan, who is a, um, a professor at a university in Jerusalem. Um, and uh, But she almost every day uh, sends me updates on the abuse of, of children very specifically, uh, both in Israel itself and in the occupied territories, so, but mainly the, mainly the West Bank and Gaza. So, yeah, I'm au fait with the way that they, they treat children. Um, why is that more disgusting than the way they treat adult Palestinians? Um, I'm not sure that it is, really. They treat all Palestinians as if they were animals, so it's completely disgusting across the board. I don't know what else to say. I mean, people will sometimes get in touch and they say, oh, my goodness, you know, why are you just focusing on Palestinian children or the Palestinians? What about the Uyghurs? What about the Rohingya? Um, what about... and?" Personally, I'll often say to them, well, yeah, we're campaigning on behalf of them as well. But this country, Israel, has an enormous amount of global and international support from the United States, from, from many other countries, from this country, from the UK. Uh, it, is a, it says it's a democracy, believes in human rights. And yet we are seeing these images all the time. What do you say, Roger, to people say, oh, you know, why are you just interested, interested in the Palestinians? Do you not care about anybody else? Well, of course, I'm not only interested in the Palestinians, as as I've said about a million times, my platform is Paris 1948 and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So I believe, I actually believe in the idea that all our brothers and sisters all over the world, not just in Palestine, the Rohingyans, all oppressed people everywhere, the people in the Amazonian rainforest in Ecuador and Brazil. I'm not going to start making a huge long list, okay? They, they all deserve equal civil, political, and human rights under international law. That is my platform. But do I put more of my time into this particular struggle? Yeah, I do. Why do I? Because I was invited into the struggle many, many years ago by, by friends. who And the friends became the BDS movement. And they be, and all, many other people as well outside the movement that calls itself BDS. And you have to start somewhere. You can't go... You, you, if you're an individual, which I am... It would be a nonsense to say, right, I am now going to work on human rights for everybody all over the world. And that's all I'm going to say. And it would be bland, except it wouldn't because I'm passionate about it. But would we achieve anything? Who knows? Hopefully we will. So to all of you people who say, leave Israel alone and go look after the Rohingyas, no. I'm going to stay with this particular problem until it's over. And we are winning the debate because how can we not? Because we are right and the Israeli government is wrong. We are winning the debate and uh, public opinion is changing in global civil society. And we will overcome this occupation and the Palestinian people will be freed and the refugees will be given the right under UN 194 to return to their homeland. Okay, so. Well, Roger, I mean, it is, you know, you've been standing up on the human rights issue for, for a long, long time. And of course, the United Nations has been 
uh, quite explicit time and time again, especially on human rights and the uh, the illegal occupation of Palestinian land. And it, I think we, we found a clip. We found a clip some uh, back in 2012, I think, November 2012, uh, when you were at the United Nations. And um, Omar, may, maybe you could quickly play that for us. Shirt and tie. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm a musician, not a diplomat, and so I shall not waste this precious opportunity on the niceties of protocol. As I speak, I can hear the tut-tutting of governmental and media tongues trotting out the well-worn mantra of the apologists. But Hamas started it with their rocket attacks. Israel is only defending itself. Let us examine that argument. Did Hamas start it? When did it start? How we understand history is shaped by when we start the clock. If we start the clock at a moment when rockets are fired from Gaza into Israel on a certain afternoon, that is one history. If we start the clock earlier that morning when a 13-year-old Palestinian boy was shot dead by Israeli soldiers as he played soccer on a Gaza field, history starts to look a little different. Yeah, wow. well, there we have it. History starts to look a little different. I mean, um, when people sometimes say, well, why um, in Britain do you think there's a lot of interest in this issue of Palestine? Uh, the answer is often, that, well, actually, Britain was responsible for the Balfour Declaration. Do you think, Roger, that uh, people in this country have a, a historical, um, well, there's a necessity historically for a responsibility, whether it be the partition of India or the partition of Palestine, to be taking up the rights of people? Well, yes, I do, <clears throat> and 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 uh, uh, clearly, all imperial powers have murky pasts. The history of European imperialism, and now North American imperialism, um, is rife with these uh, terrible stories of how other people in other lands have been treated by the imperial powers down through the ages. Certainly, for the last several hundred years. So yeah, of course, of course, in Europe we have a responsibility to to address these issues as far as we can, you know. And 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 so we try and do that. And Israel is. What's interesting is that the settler colonial Zionist movement in Israel didn't start really until after the Second World War. Well, it did. There were movements in the nineteenth century, as we know. Zionism has its roots with whatever his name was back in 18 in the 1890s and obviously it was gathering steam a little bit through certainly yeah. the first world war when balfour wrote the letter to lord rothschild um saying do you know what i actually printed it out yesterday and i've left it downstairs in the kitchen so i haven't actually got it here in my studio with me but i can remember it basically he said this this government uh, looks with favour upon the establishment of a of a Jewish state in Palestine and blah blah blah, but there's a there's a a second bit of that sentence. It's in the same sentence. Save that it should not interfere with the political or civil or religious rights of the indigenous people who are already living there. Okay, that is the Palestinians, my friends. So that half of the Balfour letter to Lord Rothschild is very often forgotten. We should remember it because those rights, all of them, 
have been interfered with by the Zionist um, settler colonial movement. So that's Balfour. I, I know it's it's and it's not a more complex issue than that. That's it. That's that's it right there in the letter. Anyway. Well, I mean, also, I mean, historically, you have to look at other uh, parts of the world where uh, there, were, there was a kind of settler colonialism and it either, as in the case of South Africa, had to compromise uh, or in the case of Rhodesia, there was majority rule in the end. But in all of these cases, there was a big campaign, both in those countries and internationally, um, for equal rights for all, for human rights for all, uh, for democracy. Um, but don't you sometimes think, Roger, it's much more difficult when it comes to Palestine, for some reason, the, the, many of the people who would have been a part of the anti-apartheid movement back in the day when it came to South Africa, uh, somehow think it's not really acceptable to be campaigning in a similar way, calling for sanctions, for instance, uh, against Israel uh, when it's uh, when it's needed. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, <clears throat> this this brings us, I live in the United States of America, so this brings us to APAC and the Israeli lobby and the, and the spinning of the story in order to persuade people that somehow um, the, um, somehow the, the Zionist occupation of Palestinian land uh, is an exception to a general rule that one country should not invade another and that they should not be allowed to occupy a country ad nauseam. And they've been there for 70 years now or 75 years, however long it is. Um, so where am I going with this? Um, I, I have in front of me a whole bunch of papers. Here they are in my hand. I put these together yesterday uh, going through some of my past. In here, in this pile, and we could refer to it if you want, is a correspondence between me and Stephen Van Zandt. Who's he, you might ask? Well, he's that bloke in the turban, you know, in the headscarf or whatever, who's in the E Street band, Bruce Springsteen's band. <laughs> Very good guitar player, lovely fellow by all accounts, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was also acted in The Sopranos. So he's very well known for that as well. <laughs> so I contacted him because another thing that Stephen Van Zandt did was he was the producer of We Will Not Sing in Sun City, right? And you remember all of that? Yeah. Well, he produced that track. He got the people to sing on it. And he produced. So I wrote him emails suggesting that the time had come maybe even use his original track and change the lyrics to apply them to the occupation and to the apartheid state and the apartheid situation and the ethnic cleansing in Palestine. And I've got, if you want to hear him, I've got what he replied and how that. Well, go on, go on, Roger. Cause I was, I was going to ask you about that because you know, you've, you, you stood out on a limb on this issue, and a lot, lots of other musicians and celebrities are saying, "Oh, yeah," and then they get nervous and they run away, and they they probably say to you privately, "Yeah, good for you, Roger, keep at it," but uh, I I don't think I've got this, I haven't got the guts really to to take a risk and and all that stuff. Yeah, well, so you, you, it's a blast. Yeah, well, they do, but hang on a minute. I I, I okay, there's that and that that. Oh look, here's my peace plan. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Here's my letter. Here's my letter to Lord and Ahed Tamimi, that, which is here we go. All right, this is this is my <clears throat> this is my correspondence with 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 little Stevie, Stephen Van Zandt. 
Thursday, October the 8th, 2015. All right. Dear Stephen, my name is Roger Waters. I used to be in a pop group called Pink Floyd. I'm the arsehole Howard Stern rants about accusing me of anti-Semitism. Ho, fucking ho. You, to your eternal credit, produced We Will Not Sing in Sun City all those years ago. Do you think our community of musicians is nearly ready to pass the tipping point and support our brothers and sisters in Palestine in the same way we supported our oppressed brothers and sisters in South Africa? If you don't think so, you may well be right, and I will respect your opinion. However, if you do think the time has come, because you were the one who galvanized everyone back then, I would be honored to help recreate your protest for a different oppressed people on today's stage. It is possible, of course, that you think Howard Stern and Kanye Litherskirt and Poodle Rock Bon Jovi are correct to support the policies of the current government of Israel, in which case Brian Eno, Elvis Costello, Coldplay and I and a few thousand others will continue the fight without your crucial support. In any event, I can't believe that you and I have never broken bread. So let's do that, should you so wish, as soon as possible. I'm doing a gig in D.C. called Music Heals on the 16th of this month to benefit Music Corps, an initiative to support the rehabilitation of wounded through music at Walter Reed Hospital. And it would be a great honour, both for me and the men, should you attend. Love. Oh. This is his reply, <laughs> which is fucking great that he replied. You know, I really did. I really thought this was amazing. Hi, Roger. Stevie here. This issue is too sensitive and important to discuss this way. We should get together in New York City and it would be my honor to buy you lunch. Oh. Out of respect to you as person obviously intending to do good in the world, and in case we never speak again, I will say that, in my opinion, a boycott is the wrong strategy for this issue. Israel is far more complicated than South Africa, South Africa was and is far too good a friend to be treated that way. In addition... Um, in addition to be being inappropriate and ineffectual, it would not be good for you. Uh, oh, <laughs> I appreciate your selfless desire to put idealism ahead of personal interest, but having done that most of my life has taught me to be extremely cautious and meticulously strategic if one's intention is to win. On the other hand, if one's intention is merely to raise an issue and bring it to some attention, sacrificing oneself along the way, then anything goes. Just be aware it doesn't matter how rich or successful you are, one's power base erodes quickly, as does credibility, quicker than one would think. A lifetime of good work and success can be wiped out in an instant. And then, no matter how noble your intention, you will never accomplish anything politically again. <laughs> well, fuck me, Stephen. Talk about a warning. 
<laughs> so, well, that, was, that is the most extraordinary hyperbole. And I suppose anybody from, uh, you know, Mandela to Arafat to whoever would never have voiced a single word ever if they paid any heed to a letter like that. But, but Roger, look, we've got to quickly show, we want to quickly show this clip. Well, let me finish. Oh, I beg your pardon. I, thought oh, you no, I haven't quite finished. Dear yeah. Stevie, thank you for your reply. You make some interesting points. I apologise for not having got back to you sooner. I'm in DC rehearsing music heels, blah, 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 Tom Morello, yeah. the ghost of John Halcock. I would love to see you in New York for lunch. Now that we've exchanged emails, we may become inseparable. I will touch base next week. On a cursory glance, next Friday, the 23rd, looks a possibility. <laughs> Best Roger. Hang on. There is no more. I never got a reply. Oh. So there was no lunch, no, no. conversation, just no. sort of nothing, Stevie. Right. Well, I, I guess he's probably not watching tonight. But, you know, he's not. I mean, this is... um. I, I, I get it. I remember during the anti-apartheid uh, campaigns as well. You know, people would say, "Oh no, the, you know these these uh, sanctions, um, they don't work." You know, st standing out, refusing to perform, it doesn't work. Um, blah de blah de blah. We've got a clip, I think, of you, Roger, having uh, having a, a, a good crack at Nick Cave for deserved reasons. Actually, uh, Omar. Can you press the button? Have you Your cave. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> He's saying that his freedom of speech was being infringed. It doesn't even. It doesn't deserve an answer. Did you have contact with him? Well, with Nick Cave. Well, we only, only I. I was co-signatory of all the letters that we all sent him or whatever. I, I never. I didn't speak to him personally. I don't want to speak to him. Mm. I, I, I just think it's so pitiful to to bring that up and say, oh, you know, I'm a musician, I just want to play my music. I don't want Roger Waters bullying me. <laughs> what? They're shooting the fucking feet of 18-year-olds who want to play soccer. Don't talk to me about your freedom of speech. Did you? What response did you get from Nick Cave? I don't think I. I, I, I don't remember having ever having had a response uh, from Nick Cave. I've got all kinds of stuff here, but the thing here's something I wrote. There's a long thing in here about the article that the that the fucking Guardian wrote, where the headline was, um, "BDS is cowardly and shameful," says Nick. Cave. Fuck you, Nick But I did write something else, which, and it's a very lot. It's two pages of full scap. You don't want to hear it. But this is you, this you could hear. Look, I'll hold it up. The road to Damascus. Look, and it's got mm -hmm. Nick Cave written up there. So when it says in the first line, which it does there, so me and this Aussie bloke. I will guess who the Aussie bloke is. <laughs> All right. So it's this is short, and it's a it's a, here we go. It's called The Road to Damascus, Nick. <clears throat> Pass it on to the Bad Seeds. Weird name for a band, don't you think? The Bad <laughs> What the fuck is all that about? Anyway, that's not <laughs> Exactly. The Road to Damascus. So, me and this Aussie bloke are walking down the road on the way to a gig. 
just as we get there, we see these heavily armed soldiers on the other side of the road knocking this Arab bloke to the ground, kneeling on him, kicking him in the head and beating him with their rifle butts. I cross over to remonstrate with them and the soldiers tell me to fuck off or they'll arrest me. Are you all right? I asked the bloke. Doff question, obviously. Can I help? Yes, he says. You are musicians, yes? Yes, I reply. They have stolen our land, he says. We are resisting them. There is a cultural boycott. Please don't do a gig here. As he is dragged away towards the paddy wagon, he tosses a small round metal badge in my direction. I return to the other side of the road where the Aussie has been watching events unfold. Did you see that? I say. Yeah, bummer, he replies. Come on, we've got a gig to do. No, I say. There's a cultural boycott. That Arab bloke is a victim. The soldiers are perpetrators. We have a moral duty to stand with the victim. Don't you try to bully me, you shameful, cowardly, pommy bastard, says the <laughs> and pushes past me into the gig. I reach down into the dust, retrieve the BDS badge and pin it to my lapel. And that's just a short story that I wrote. But that's how I feel about it. Yeah. It's such bullshit, Nick. It really is. Sorry, go on. Tom, I mean, Roger, you must have plenty of Israelis who say, you know, keep keep this up because, you know, there, 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 there are plenty of voices uh, in Israel that agree with this campaign for human rights for Palestine and, and for a, a, a secular one-state solution. Yeah. Um, then there are people sending points in today who agree with all of that as well. But, but so... Have you had pushback um, from the government of Israel and from other governments about your campaign? And, 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 and how do you feel when people in Israel say, you know, you still stick at it, Roger? It's very important. Well, have I had response? Yeah. I've had ex-CIA um, desk managers. Um, I, can't, I, I, I promise you I'd tell you the guy's name if I could remember it, but I can't remember it off, off my car. But some bloke who ran the Middle East desk in the CIA 25 years ago came around my house to warn me off, yeah. made a big speech about, don't you think you being a bit extreme, don't you think you'd have more effect, you know, if you were closer to the middle of this conversation? Would you rather be Malcolm X or Martin Luther King? Stuff like that trying to get me away from being as aggressive and and open and stringent as I am about saying, this is not, Stephen, by the way, this is not complicated. This is not more complicated than South Africa. It's more heinous. It's worse than South Africa was. But there's nothing complex about this. And, you know, this 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 is a simple case of sort of, getting close to being genocidal settler colonialism where one group of people want to take over a great big piece of land and they want to get rid of everybody who's living it this happened in 1948 and it's gone on ever since incrementally happening so it's not complex is that acceptable mm -hmm. or not Stephen? no it's not why do you think it is because there's a huge 
movement or much less huge than it was in the United States. Anyway, I've forgotten where I was now. We, well, we... I'll tell you what, Roger, whilst, I mean, we'll have a quick, we've got lots, loads of people have been sending in uh, points and what have you. I mean, we're interested in hearing your questions. I mean, there's quite a few of you that are sort of getting very carried away and sort of entrenched and not really listening to the argument. Um, but, you know, for those of you who have got questions, please send them in. Um, uh, Nigel Boucher says, Palestine, majority of the Irish uh, here are for you. Uh, Branka Furatroslik, beg, beg my pardon if I haven't pronounced your name correctly. Thank you, Roger. Please keep doing what you're doing, spreading the word. Hi from Quebec. Um, yes, Brian Blatcher, uh, Jane, uh, DGM from Glasgow. Love your fight, Roger. Taja Voltonum. This is an important and really interesting discussion, but the announcement of the event looks like we'd have some music too. Oh, well, you'll just have to wait till the end and you might get a quick blast of it. But anyway, look, we're here to talk to Roger. I mean, this is not a, um, a musical interlude. This is a very, uh, we're seriously trying to come to grips with the whole issue of um, essentially uh, the, the the way that the, the music industry, sports, celebrity, uh, those involved in culture, what contribution can they make um and what has roger been doing over the years to try and push the argument for palestine amongst people he's probably worked with knows and sometimes will probably upset with his opinions and i was just actually thinking then um about uh madonna because of course she got caught up in all of this when she uh, insisted on playing at the eurovision song contest in um Tel Aviv. I think you tried to persuade her not to do that, Roger. Omar, have you got a clip from? I think there was some. There was a whole bunch of stuff in the media at the time. Is there a clip there from the Guardian that you have? Ah, oh, there we are. Look, this is. Oh, this is. Um, this is a piece uh, by Roger. Uh, his appeal to um, Madonna: If you believe in human rights, Madonna, don't play Tel Aviv. Um, I think, did you write to her, Roger? I think you did. Yeah, hang on a minute. Well, I've got it here. Oh, good. This is, you know, so many people think I'm such an appalling person already. I'm going to take the risk of, of reading it out because it's, it, some people might say this is a bit unkind to Madonna, but I was disgusted when she went and sang at the Eurovision because this was only like in 2019. So it's two years ago, 16th of May, 2019. Anyway, this is the letter that I wrote <clears throat> when she'd said she was going to do it. So I was rather heated. Here we go. Dear Madonna. So you're going through with it. Well, there is that new album to sell. I wish I could say I was surprised, but sadly, I'm not. This was predictable. Seen from the outside, and in my admittedly jaundiced view, your whole career has been the sad victory of style over content. <laughs> no, that's just a personal opinion. It's irrelevant to the you know conversation. But on your decision to sing at Eurovision, you say, quote, I'll never stop playing music to suit someone's political agenda. I can't argue with that statement. Clearly, singing for your supper in Tel Aviv next week suits the racist apartheid Israeli government's political agenda 
down to the last raised olive tree. However, I can't let, quote, I will always speak out against violation of human rights wherever in the world they may be. Wow, girl, you have some big cojones. Someone who betrays a friend for money is usually called a Judas. The act of cheating on the golf course is known as a Clinton or a <laughs> Someone who pretends to support an action but does the exact opposite is usually called a hypocrite. To immortalize this year's Eurovision, I propose we drop the word hypocrite from the lexicon. Henceforth, anyone who is proverbially hypocritical should be known as a Madonna. I say that with apologies to the Holy Mother. Very hard to squeeze out any love here, but love are. I know it may seem a little harsh, but... Well, Roger, there's a... There's a question that's come in and uh, it's, it's critical of us both, really, because uh, it says that we don't really know what we're talking about when it comes oh, to... Oh, really? I yeah. bet this person yeah. knows what they're talking about, whoever well, well, yeah, well, what he says is that, you know, you explain how there is apartheid in, uh, in Palestine, Israel-Palestine. Yeah. Oh, you want me to explain? Yeah, that's the... There he different there isn't of, well, you have one group of people identified racially and religiously, oppressed by another group of people. That is what apartheid is. That's it. Goodbye, whoever you were. Anybody else got a question? I've got a plan for peace. Do you want to hear it? Go on. All right, I will. Because, I, Mark, you know, I adore you, as you know. And so I did some preparation for this program. Here we go. I can't, I've no idea when I wrote this, but it'll be a few years ago now. Oh, hang on. The Waters Plans, May 2018. So it's three years ago, three and a half years ago. <clears throat> Either Plan A, two states are confirmed within mm -hmm. pre existing borders before the 1967 occupation. The Palestinian capital is in East Jerusalem. The Israeli capital can be anywhere they choose within the 67 borders. Illegal settlers leave the Palestinian state with no criminal charges, or a deal is struck where they stay and an equivalent number of Palestinian refugees return to Israel with suitable reparations. The state of Palestine recognizes Israel within the pre-67 borders and vice versa. As plan A mm. or plan B. A single new democratic state is created over the whole of historic Palestine with full equal rights for all citizens, irrespective of ethnicity or religion, in compliance with international law. Any and all illegal acts of expulsion, demolition, forcible transfer, ethnic cleansing and acts of terrorism are addressed by truth and reconciliation forums. All legal rights of return are respected. Just saying. Love, mm -hmm. Roger. Mm -hmm. Those are my two peace plans. Well, I mean, do you know, it's not rocket science. And, and you know, Roger, that elements of that have been 
advanced all over the place for a long, long time. But what is it? Why, why do you think that, you know, despite um, the lessons of history, you know, and it would suggest that, you know, peace and cooperation and human rights is the way forward if you live in what is historic Palestine, what they call Israel-Palestine now. What, 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 is this, what is it that will not bring, make, make people compromise? I mean, there was a compromise in the end. It was a realisation. It's, it's not all milk and honey in South Africa now. There are still bigots on, on all sides, but there's been a settlement. Why, why is it not happening in Palestine, do you think? Because it doesn't suit the agenda of the powers that be. So the powers that be via their mouthpieces in the Western governments, particularly the governments of the United States and the UK and France and, and most of the Western government pay lip service to the idea that they believe in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from Paris in 1948, but they're lying. They don't believe. They don't even believe in human rights for their own citizens. In the United States, for instance, there are millions and millions of black people in prison, needlessly, for no reason at all, except that the prisons have been privatized and it's a growth industry. Mm. So it's an extension of slavery. This is what the 13th Amendment did. No man should be held in slavery or indentured labor, save that he commit a crime. That's the important bit of the 13th Amendment. Anyway, that, let's not go into American politics because it's a separate issue. But the fact is, it's inconvenient to the people who administer the governments that purport to represent us. So however much, however much there may be a question of right and wrong here and that we all believe in you. We actually believe, you believe in human rights, so do I. Joe Biden doesn't. Donald Trump didn't. Barack Obama didn't. George W. Bush didn't. They have no interest in human rights except their right to continue to make a few quid every day. Not a few quid. Yeah. Billions every day. Well, I suppose you could argue. I mean, I mean, if you're an American taxpayer, for instance, you say, well, three and a half billion a year, essentially for the Israeli military. That's what it is. That's a hell of a lot of money that could be going to much better projects in around the world and the United States and what have you. Well, never mind. Just there's, there's a military industrial um, complex at work. It's kind of it kind of suits people for this uh, this 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 situation to pertain, as you're saying, because a lot of these all these advanced weapons systems, the Iron Dome, they all get checked out, don't they? They all get tested. Yeah. More, than, more than four billion, actually, says I'm corrected. More than yeah. four billion. It is more than four billion. Yeah, yeah, of course they do. But actually, if you look at the as far as the United States is concerned, if you look at the bigger picture, I think it's over sixty percent of the national budget, all the tax dollars that go in, right? Nearly 70% goes into the military industrial complex. 70% of, <clears throat> of, of everything that comes out of my pocket, I pay taxes here, and everybody, every all the working people, everybody who pays taxes, it gets spent on rape, murder, stealing from brown people in foreign countries. And some of the brown people that they were murdering are the Palestinian people. And they don't care really if it creates uh, international tension and what, because they have to have a continuing permanent war in order to be able to support 
the stealing of the money from the pockets of the taxpayers to put in their own pockets because they're the ones that only Raytheon and and the other armaments companies all all of it's not for nothing that the arms industry has a little or at least a little bit in every single state of the union so that they can so that their congress people and their representatives in that in the in that arm of the uh, of the government can all be told you you have to vote for this because there are jobs at stake here in my town so yeah. it's it's very cleverly worked and it's insane they are in the meantime destroying the planet that we all live on well i mean here we've got cop 26 in this country right now world leaders a lot of them they're trying to reach some agreement on keeping global temperature rises to one and a half percent looks like it's going to be 1.9 percent if they do their best but but there is that kind of reality that all of this is happening um around us uh, and a lot of people feel quite powerless and yet Roger, I mean, you could argue that um, what may have changed over the past 10 odd years or what is, is the level, the degree of activism globally around the issue of Palestine and the fact that, you know, we don't all just have a, one or two television stations we can watch or one or two newspapers we can go to. There's a myriad of different information streams. And some of the clips, for instance, we were looking at earlier, you know, they they don't have they don't tend to get shown necessarily on the BBC or CNN or whatever. So do you think are you a bit more hopeful? Are you a bit more hopeful that this kind of the spread of um I mean accurate social media opinions opinionated social media as well. I mean look this is a this is opinion but hopefully it's opinion based on 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 fact and argument. But do you, are you a bit more hopeful because we've got these different mediums out there now? Yeah, that does that does encourage me, and and. You know, yeah, that does encourage me because the mainstream media are finding it harder and harder to suppress the fact, for instance, that the BBC is an arm of MI6. It's an arm of government intelligence. It always has been. I was I was watching an, uh, um, an interview today um, between George Galloway and my good friend Vijay Prashad, basically about um, one of the reasons that it's been so difficult to for Africa to develop into the future is because every time there's a Patrice Lumumba there who is moving a country, you know, <clears throat> uh, uh, towards some kind of progressive form of government and redistribution of wealth, they kill him. Mm-hmm. They organize a queue to kill him. The United yeah. States or the UK or the Belgians or whoever it might be. Uh, they do that. Even Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, was uh, the great peacemaker in the Congo. Uh, he appears to have been killed by by similar forces. I mean, is it? But look, hey, Roger, there's a question here. This is from... Uh, on, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, I, just, I just want to... Also, I'm deeply encouraged by Palestine action. We, uh, so the, the Elbit... Every time I see those young people on the roof of that disgusting company's buildings there, um, not hurting anybody, just throwing buckets of red paint over a building, uh, my, my heart goes out to them. So I want to express huge support for them and for anybody who takes nonviolent direct action against drone making companies yeah, tell us about Elbit, because a lot some people won't have heard of elbit from around the world i mean they may not have heard of this company and what they do but based in britain 
they make drones what i mean when these what are these drones used for well the drones are used all over the world to kill people for the extrajudicial murder of anyone that the united states or uk or israeli government disapproves of that's it it's as simple as that they're, they're, it's <clears throat> like we're living in in uh what the hell robocop it's mm. it's the beginning of the end of a civilization when you accept robocop as your model for for how you want the world to be oh i know we'll build robots and then we can kill anyone we don't like yeah. oh, lucky. Yeah. you know we could they killed our lucky and then what the, did they do i nearly said what the f the very next two weeks later, they killed his son. He was sitting drinking a yeah. cup of coffee with his mates. He was 15 years old because yeah. his father was a principled cleric who spoke out against American foreign policy. They killed this kid with a drone attack. Mm, mm. I mean, it is when you see this, it is quite staggering, incredible. You wonder what our forefathers would have thought. Uh, foremothers, those, you know, who set up the United Nations or that post-world order based on, on international law that you can have these, uh, well, supranational killings of people you don't like. I mean, uh, we may not necessarily like what some of the Iranian generals are up to. I may not like what some of the American generals are up to, but you can't go around blowing American, uh, Iranian generals up just for the hell of it. Well, you can't. Anyway, they can. They can. They can. Look, there's a question. This is from John in London. Um, and in fact, he is following on from this in a way. And I was going to ask you about it because, you know, activism has to be organized and it tries to get results and it goes through certain processes very often to get there, to build up broader support. And John's question in London is, what does Roger think of the current state of the UK Labour Party? Was he pleased with the recent vote at the conference in support of Palestine? Yeah, brother, of course I was. I was I was almost overwhelmed that day because it was in, in such contrast to 2019, which was before the election. And basically, I you know, probably was where Jeremy Corbyn, who I admire deeply, um lost lost the election because he bowed down to the Israeli lobby. By by getting the late or allowing the Labour Party conference in 2019 to accept the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, and and that was like the top of a slippery slope. And Corbyn found himself at the bottom of that slope without a job a few months later. And talk about foreign powers interfering in elections. The Israeli government took. The general election from from Jeremy Corbyn in 2019, later that year, in November, later that year, gave the country um, to the Tories, gone, and also kicked Corbyn out and installed Keir Starmer as the leader of the Labour Party, who um, is completely controlled by the Israeli lobby. Everything that he says shows you that's true. And this all led on to John Ware, the disgusting um, director of the BBC piece, uh, the Panorama piece called Anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Let them get away with that piece of shit. And consequently, there are ongoing um, court cases in England now because John Ware has been suing good, honest, left-wing Labour Party members because 
they described what he had done. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really. I know that John Wes not is no longer pursuing Jeremy Corbyn, but that could possibly have something to do with the fact that um, he's suing uh, Paddy French and he's suing yeah, yeah. Over, I, I mean, I don't want to prejudice anything, but it's it, it's interesting that um, I think people were sufficiently concerned about that particular case that they gave an awful lot of money to a defense legal defense fund for Corbyn. I think it's about three hundred odd thousand at the last uh, last at the last count. But there's another question. This is from Natasha in Manchester. She says, Roger, what do you think about FIFA, the FIFA president's idea of hosting the World Cup in Israel and the UAE in 2030? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, actually, that's a good on the whole sporting who, who, who is this lady? Is this a lady? Yes, it is. Yes. What's I've her name? Some, I've got, a, I've got a, I'm getting so many questions. I've just kind of, I'll find right. her. Carry on. I'll find, I'll find her. All right. Madam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm appalled, obviously. I've never heard anything quite so disgusting in my life. Natasha. That's Natasha. Sorry, Natasha. Natasha. I apologize for calling you madam. <laughs> I bet you're not. I bet you're not a madam. Um, anyway, that is that is that's the worst news I've heard today, but it doesn't surprise me. You know, as I've said to Mark before. Because I, I really think that soccer may be the next way forward in terms of the work that Mark and I do uh, for uh, in favor of there being human rights for Palis for the Palestinian people. So I am desperate, you know, for Mo Salah or one of the other, one of those others, or um, you know, El Nani or or there's couple of them who play for Leicester City and there's one bloke in Manchester City, whatever, I can't remember all their names, but I'm desperate for the day that one of them stands up and says, okay, I'm done, I and takes a knee. You know, we, we, we need somebody to take a knee for this issue in soccer. They, mm. had, it in, they had it in um, for Black Lives Matter with Colin Kaepernick, right? In, in in the United States of America. He has paid a huge price. He hasn't he hasn't kicked a ball in anger since uh since all of that blew up and it's been years and years now. I want somebody, somebody in professional football to stand in front of those Celtic supporters who I've seen in the stands with Palestinian flags showing their metal and where they are in this in this argument because i think it's absolutely wrong that anybody plays with any israeli team at a club level or internationally they should be banned from all international competition until they accept one of my peace plans or or, or, or international law are the numerous exactly. that, that would be quite a helpful thing the security council resolutions look a couple of quick questions roger because yeah. unfortunately we're, we're beginning to near the end um so ben ritchie uh ben ritchie says how should the israeli people resist the government what can we do to help uh giovanni santilan i don't know where giovanna is from but uh, giovanna says she says we normal citizens what can we do to contribute to peace building in the region I live in Amman in Jordan, 80 kilometers from Jerusalem. I can't just be here sitting and witness this tra continuing tragedy. So look, there are two voices. There's one from Israel, one from Jordan. They they want peace. They want a, they want a settlement. They want well, a can new I, so, can, I, can can I address this, the the question from the Israeli person first? Yes. All right. 
read everything that you can get your hands on from Breaking the Silence or from Gideon Levy or from my friend Ronnie Barkin, who I believe is now an, an ex, um, you know, he's living, he's, I think he lives in Berlin now, or any of the others, many. I'm only talking about close kind of friends of mine. And when you've read whatever they have to say, give it to other people to read or show it to them. Um, should I encourage you to go down to the pub and talk to people about probably not because they'll probably kill you because unfortunately Israeli most Israeli citizens have been propagandized since they were day they were born and they I think literally believe all the bullshit that they listen to that all Palestinians are terrorists and blah 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 there's also some new films out you know um, or, and there's more and more coming out every day. I'm involved in the making of a lot of these. Go and what whenever there's a an illicit showing of one of the films, or if you can find stuff on the internet, films about the reality of life in the in Gaza or in the occupied territory. Though how you could have missed it, 2014. Mm. How you can miss the killing of 600 children you know, in 50 days or 51 days. I don't know. And how you can live with it that you did that. You did that. You Israeli people did that. You elected Benjamin Netanyahu. You have just elected Naftali Bennett. They are absolutely devoted to the idea of genocide. So you do that when you cast your vote for the Knesset. So I don't know what you do. It must be really, really difficult. But I'm very glad to hear you asking the question. Yeah, and, I, and of course, not everybody's voted for the monsters like Netanyahu. And look, and look there's some more advice here. This is uh, read, read Ilan Pape, Miko Pelled, Norman Finkelstein, Max Blumenthal, Dan Cohen. Um, yeah, so. Uh, so, oh, here's another question, Roger. This is from Ati Bakos. Why do you think that some Muslim countries like Morocco, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates are trying to normalize their relationship with Israel? Feathering their nests. There Individual politicians feathering their nests. That's why. That is not the will of the people of those countries. That is individuals feathering nests. And there is a huge network of nest featherers. Yeah, so look, Roger, I mean, the other the other thing I just wanted to, to, to get on to just before we end is, you know, because we have been talking, we started off by talking about the situation of uh, children, uh, the arrest of children, and, you know, how very often they're being mistreated in a shocking situation um, there. And we've moved on, and we've discussed the whole issue of, you know, what it is for the boycott, divest, and sanctions movement to, to get more support, especially from people from your industry, for instance, and the work that you've been doing over the years. And we've also sort of looked at um, the way that media and spreading the word and bringing greater understanding, people actually being able to see, if, if you're in Israel, being actually able to see what's happening in the occupied territories because you've got great big bloody walls you can't see over anymore. You don't know what the Palestinians are up to, are being, how they're being treated. But what we're doing here at Palestine Deep Dive is we are, um, we are developing a program to help train young Palestinian journalists and uh, we we want to try and get as much support for that and we're also going to be launching a campaign um, on the 15th of November in New York a campaign to try and get 
all the major US networks to employ at least one journalist, Palestinian journalist based in Gaza and West Bank, the occupied East Jerusalem, the occupied territories. I mean, that's something practically we, practical we can do. Here at Palestine Deep Dive, there's a whole bunch of us of former journalists or continuing journalists. We can offer our help where we can. So we're all doing our bit as well. You've been doing a fantastic <clears throat> amount over the years, and, and we hope you might be able to join us when we launch this campaign. But what do, what do you think about the future for, you know, giving Palestinians the uh, the literary weapons, the journalistic weapons they need to proselytize to carry their campaign forward? Well, listen, I, I love Palestine Deep Dive, as you know, and I love your idea of the journalist thing. And of course, I will support it. And of course, I will help as much as I can when you when you start with that thing. I just want to, as we're getting close to the end, I've got, I just want to say this, because what I have to say is often very negative, because it's such a distressing subject. I come off, off probably as like an angry old bloke shooting his mouth off and blah, blah, blah. I just want to tell everybody who's watching this now, that I'm actually motivated by all the love that I have in my heart for my brothers and sisters, not just in Palestine, but as I constantly say all over the world. I just want to read one very short letter that I wrote uh, in 2017, because it's not to Nick Cave. All right. Um, it's this. Christmas, it, it's... It's to Lord, who's a, New Ze a singer from New Zealand, who decided not to go to Tel Aviv and play, and, and also to a Palestinian woman. Dear Lord and Ahed Tamimi, Christmas 2017 will be remembered for two young women. You, Lord, will be remembered for your measured and principled stand in support of Palestinian rights. Thank you for shining your light into a dark place. And 16-year-old Ahed Tamimi will be remembered because she slapped a heavily armed soldier, one of the army that has brutally occupied her people's land for the last 70 years. The soldier was lounging against the wall in her family's front yard two days after one of his units had shot her unarmed younger brother in the head with a rubber-coated bullet. Her brother is in a medically-induced coma. She is in prison. I write to you both with great admiration, love and respect. Roger Waters. I just wanted to get that in because... It's not all ranting and raving. I feel quite emotional now, even reading that letter to those brave young women, very brave, both of them. And I know that they represent many, many, many young people all over the world who are engaged in this struggle. And they're, not, they're engaged in this struggle because of the love that they have in their hearts for their brothers and sisters. All right, that's the end of that little speech. Well, look, thank you very much indeed, Roger. Um, we, I mean, we haven't been able to take all of your questions. I am sorry. We've had a huge number of people sending in messages from all over the world. Look, some have obviously disagree with what Roger's been saying. Some people think, you know, I haven't been asking him tough enough questions. But the majority, I think, can understand why we're here to discuss what we're discussing and what we're trying to get to the bottom of. And, you know... 
this is not a news program. Uh, this is a this is a, an antidote to some of the news programs, because here at Palestine Deep Dive, we are trying to present something that you don't necessarily get to see and hear elsewhere. And so that's why it's been so important for Roger to join us tonight. And we thank him. Uh, there he is putting on putting it on. Thanks very much, Roger. Thanks you very much for joining us uh, from America. Thank you to all of you out there. Um, please keep up to date with all of our work at Palestine Deep Dive. Um, you can see uh, from the um, comments, uh, you know, where to uh, the website and everything. And um, please join us next time. Um, and until then, and we hope to have Roger again with us, uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. And we'll leave, I think, with a little, um, a little bit of what some of you have been asking for. We shall overcome We shall overcome We shall overcome Someday Deep in my heart We shall overcome someday. And we'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand. One day. That we'll work.